Open your Bibles this morning to the 100th Psalm and to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. In just a moment, I'm going to read these two scriptures as a part of our text for framing everything in gratitude, the concluding sermon in this series, uh, Sowing Gratitude, Harvesting Blessings. And before uh, I read the scripture, I invite you to bow for a few moments of reflection and meditation if you're like me. It's just good to be quiet in God's presence and soak up some of the blessings we've already experienced in worship. How good you are, gracious God, for all of your mercies new every morning. How good you are for loving us from eternity past and loving us forever. How good you are to send Jesus Christ to live and to die for us and be raised again that we might know everlasting life. Thank you for the blessing of this church fellowship, for the blessing of this very hour and this worship experience. We pray today on behalf of refugees everywhere. We pray for the homeless the hungry, the destitute. We pray for the ill, those facing surgery, those dealing with cancer. We pray for the grieving as they process loss in their lives. We pray today for our military personnel especially and their families enduring separations, that you will keep them safe and bless them and guide them always. Lord, we know as we read Scripture and experience life that it is sin that divides us and it is sin that enslaves us. May we be healed and delivered, and may we, through the power of Jesus Christ, be united under the most gracious and glorious lordship of Jesus Christ for your praise and honor. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The 100th Psalm and Philippians 4, 4 and following. If you're able, stand please as I read aloud God's word. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And then Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, we've been thinking together during this uh, brief sermon series about uh, this very simple process of sowing gratitude and harvesting blessings. When gratitude is sown, it shows itself in giving, either giving financially or giving of our talents or our time or our priorities or a combination, hopefully, of all of those things. The gratitude shows itself in some form of giving, which uh, results in some kind of wonderful blessing uh, in, in any number of ways. The uh, great theologian Karl Barth once said that gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. And I like that. Gratitude always follows grace, he says, just as surely as thunder always follows lightning. I, I like that analogy because when the lightning happens, there's nothing else that, that has to occur for that thunder to, to be in place because it's an echo effect of what has already happened. And so with grace. Remember, we didn't do this ourselves. We didn't get here ourselves. We don't save ourselves. It's, it's God's goodness. It's not what we deserve or expect. It's his mercy. So all of these blessings are grace. And because of grace, the natural thunder reaction is gratitude. And with that in mind, I, I want us to just take a peek at these two scriptures that I read a moment ago, the, the 100th Psalm. Uh, is, is a familiar one. I remember as a child memorizing this or trying to memorize it. Um, one of the first things that I notice about this psalm is that the psalmist expects movement in worship. Uh, he says, we come into God's presence with singing. And then in verse 4, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. There is this sense of physical movement, and we can almost picture the ancient Israelites in a processional sort of hymn, either chanting or singing the 100th Psalm as they move into the temple quarters for their worship experience. And, and you know, worship is an experiential thing where it's not all in our head that sometimes what we do with our bodies is to act out what is going on in our head and hearts. You know, we, we give an altar call in our church tradition after the sermon inviting people to physically move to the altar in surrender to Christ. You don't have to do it that way, but that's, what, that's one of our traditions because we've learned that in physically moving, there's something that sort of that acts out that commitment. Sometimes during Lord's Supper service, we will invite people to come to the stations rather than always bringing communion to them. And of course, this morning you noticed that we didn't just say, we hope you make a commitment of stewardship to the church for 2016 and by the way, mail it into the church. We, we invited people to do it as a part of worship in a processional sort of way. And one of the reasons we do that, as I said, is that worship is experiential. It's not just a mental process. In verse 3, the psalmist says, Know that the Lord is God. Fred Craddock has said that the greatest distance that some Christians have to travel is from here to here, from the head to the heart. That trusting in Jesus Christ is not just a mental ascent. 
that trusting in Jesus Christ is not the same as believing that Abraham Lincoln once lived, that trusting Jesus Christ is not just believing that Jesus was this cool guy who took on crooks and who defended the powerless, that trusting in Jesus Christ is a personal experience of knowing, not with our heads, but with our hearts and with our commitment. It is a relational trust. It is, it is to take the only soul we have and to trust it with what, uh, to what Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. That's that knowing experience. And, and the psalmist has all of that embedded in that word know. And then he, he goes on and he says, know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us. We didn't make ourselves. That's a great stewardship reminder. We didn't, we didn't make ourselves. God made us. We're his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. Remember? Grace is first, and then the echo effect of gratitude. When we understand it's grace, we'll certainly be more grateful. And then I, I notice in this psalm something else. There is a command in verse 4 to give thanks to God and to bless him. Now, I'm no Hebrew linguist, but I can tell you that the English translations are correct, that this is an imperative verb. That means that giving God thanks is not a suggestion. Giving God thanks is not advice. Giving God thanks is a command. And that means that God doesn't trust us to our emotions. You ever said, well, I don't feel very thankful. Well, have you ever thought about flipping that around and realizing that maybe you won't feel thankful unless you practice thanksgiving? God is interested in the discipline of thanksgiving, that we thank God even when we don't feel like it. And I I want to put this on the screen. We don't give thanks if we feel like it. We give thanks until we feel like it. We, We don't wait for an emotion to prompt us to gratitude and thanksgiving. We keep giving thanks until the emotion arrives. Because the emotion of gratitude often will follow the honest, obedient act of thanksgiving. And that's something we need to always remember. Now, just as the act of thanksgiving is to be a discipline, not not subject to our moods, so the act of financial giving is to be uh, a discipline. We don't give when we feel like it. We give as an act of discipline. And uh, in... In, in a faithful, sustained sort of way. I, I like Henry Nouwen's quote uh, this time of year when we think about uh, all the blessings uh, of, of God upon us and upon our church. Uh, when it comes to Christian fundraising, Henry Nouwen once described fundraising as proclaiming what we believe in such a way that we offer other people the opportunity to participate in our vision and mission. See, that's an interesting way to look at, at giving in the church, that it's part of our mission. And by, by inviting other people to participate in our vision for what God is doing through First Baptist, we allow them to, to participate in that vision and mission. And what an important time in our life as a church with the imaginative discernment process, with us trying to catch up to God's dream of what God wants us to be and do, And then in the process, inviting others through financial giving and every other way 
to say, would you like to participate in this vision process? But you know, the sowing of gratitude and giving not only harvests of blessings for others, it, it also, this sounds really selfish and self-serving, but it's also a blessing to ourselves. We actually grow spiritually when we practice thanksgiving and practice giving in a disciplined way. There's a book that was published recently entitled The Paradox of Generosity. It's by Smith and Davidson, and I can give you more details if you'd like. But they did, the authors did extensive nationwide studies and, and uh, large samplings. And then they did congregational surveys, sort of a, a, a sampling from all over the nation. And after gathering the data, here's what they discovered. That generous people are generally healthier, happier, have a greater purpose in life, and a greater sense of satisfaction in life. Generous people are generally healthier, happier, have a sense of purpose and a sense of satisfaction. And that generosity, they discovered, fosters positive emotions because it can trigger chemicals in our bodies, chemicals in our bodies which actually reduce stress and heighten pleasure so that there is a very, very positive correlation between generosity and well-being. That's a biblical concept, by the way. Uh, Several years ago, I was watching a uh, morning news show, one of the morning talk shows. Uh, And we all know anything you hear in a morning talk show is true, right? I just, I just, in this case, I think, I think they were right. Uh, They were interviewing a fitness and energy trainer. And this fitness and energy trainer said, it is physiologically impossible to be both thankful and stressed at the same moment of your life. It is physiologically impossible to be both thankful and stressed in the same moment of your life. There is a correlation and a very positive one. And then speaking of framing everything in gratitude, I want to direct our attention for a few minutes to the Philippians 4 scripture. Now, here's the thing you have to know about Philippians 4, and it changes this whole passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He's in prison, and so he tells people who are not in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then just a a verse after that, he says, don't worry about anything But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. A man in prison instructs believers who are not to always rejoice and to be thankful. Notice the Apostle Paul did not let circumstances derail his gratitude. And he did not let prison bars derail his gratitude. Now I want to ask you, are you letting your circumstances derail your thanksgiving? 
Because what you're saying mentally, maybe you don't verbalize this, is, well, when everything gets okay in my life, then I'm going to be thankful to God. Well, guess what? Everything in your life is never going to be okay. Or maybe you've said, you know, if I could just get out of this prison I'm in, this, this enslavement to whatever, then I would be truly thankful. Well, guess what? We're all broken and we're all in some sort of slavery and we're all trying to become free in Christ. Don't wait till everything's perfect. Just rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul says. And he says, frame all of your praying and thanksgiving. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything with general prayers and specific supplications. But frame it all with thanksgiving. Do you frame all of your praying with thanksgiving? Or do you skip the thanksgiving and go right to your Christmas list? This God is, here's my list of demands for the day. Here's what I need for you to still be God in my life. The minimum requirement. No, he says... Frame it all with thanksgiving. Begin your prayers with thanksgiving. There's an old hymn that we used to sing. um, We still do. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. And no, I'm not going to sing it. I sang last week. You You only get that once every five years. But it's true, isn't it? And have you ever stopped and thought about all the energy we waste dwelling on the things we cannot change and avoiding the few things we can? All that energy wasted railing against regrets of the past or worries about the future or things we don't like about our present, railing against the things we cannot change, all that energy spent on that when we could be focusing on what we can impact, which is our attitude, our heart, our spirit in facing those difficulties. And if we get filled with negativity, filled with that poison of complaining, We're wasting all that energy that could be given to thanksgiving and to dealing with the heart, the things that we do have control over. And that's why the Apostle Paul in the message version of this says it so beautifully. You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, things noble, things compelling, things gracious. Dwell on the best, not the worst. Dwell on the beautiful, not the ugly. Dwell on things to praise, not things to curse. How many of us needed that this morning? To get out of the negative funk and to live a life of blessing and thanksgiving and to spend our energy on the, the meditating on the true, the noble, the compelling, the gracious, the beautiful, the, the, uh, not the ugly, the, the things worthy of praise, not cursing. And here's a household tip. Not only will gratitude make you less miserable, 
Gratitude will make it less miserable for other people to be around you. Did I say that politely enough? We not only make ourselves miserable when we're negative and complaining and grouching, we make everybody around us miserable. Gratitude's contagious and so is the negativity. That's what Paul's talking about there. And I'm the worst. You know, I get in this dark place and, and I can at times be the worst coworker on my staff, the worst spouse, the worst friend in Christ if I get in one of those negative funks. And when I'm doing that, I'm not very good Jesus advertisement. And I want to be better Jesus advertisement. I don't know about you. One year on uh, New Year's Eve, my daily Bible readings uh, led me to, uh, to James chapter 4, that scripture where James says, our life is a vapor, it's just a mist, it's fleeting, it's, it's so very temporary, it's here today, gone tomorrow. That was the text. And then just, I noticed in my reading that the next chapter over, chapter 5, there's this uh, command from James not to complain and, and grouch so much. And then, you know, the Lord kind of led me in my journaling to, to put those two together because it was the end of the year. Everybody takes inventory, how quickly life is going, you know, what could be better and different in my life. And, and I was journaling and I thought about there is a connection. This time eater of complaining when life is so very, very brief, life goes so very, very quickly. Why waste time with this time eater of complaining? when we could make our lives richer and deeper with thanksgiving. And so, here's the place we need to be this morning. We need to be in now. Can't do anything about the past. Worrying won't fix tomorrow, but we need to be, we need to be in now. And we need to be in now at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for us. We need to be in the now at the foot of the cross while the Jesus blessings just keep pouring onto us.